0: Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of Zen temples. I'm Paul Bresson.
1: And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about a certain Zen Buddhist temple in Southeast Kyoto called Tofukuji. It's a pretty important and very beautiful temple.
0: Yeah. Tofukuji is one of the five great Zen temples of Kyoto. It sure is. And most importantly of all because everything's about me, I've been there, and so have you. We were there together. (laughs) It's a pretty cool place, so I'm excited to talk about it.
1: Yeah, we had a lot of fun there. I got a fun fact about the name. Yeah, what is it? Well, you might think it's named after Tofu, Tofukuji, but it's not. No? (laughs) No, it's named after two temples in Nara, actually. Tofukuji is what you get when you squish together... Todai-ji, and Kofukuji. ji That's really interesting. I thought so too. And so those two temples in Nara were considered two of the seven great temples of Nara. And Paul, as you mentioned, this temple we're talking about, Tofuku-ji, is one of the five great Zen temples of Kyoto. Mm -hmm. And I'd heard... Of those groups of temples before. And I always thought it was just kind of a marketing thing, you know, like, oh, these are the big ones that you should really totally visit because they're really pretty and whatever. Yeah. But there's actually a lot more to it than that. And we'll get into it in the history section, but there's a reason they're special. Okay. Besides that, Tofukuji is especially popular in fall for the amazing fall colors. There are a lot of trees there and they turn very bright red in the fall. And it has some really impressive gardens. That's my very favorite part, is the gardens.
0: Same here. There's a lot of gardens for one temple. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're all unique. And some of them are, are great.
1: Yeah. And there are a few of them that we're going to spend some time on that are really like surprisingly modern. They don't really look like any other Japanese garden you've seen before. So let's discuss the
0: history of Tofukuji a little bit. Okay. What's the furthest back anything you've got, Jason?
1: I was thinking maybe we'd start in China, actually. Okay. Because Tofukuji is a Zen temple, and Zen Buddhism came to Japan from China, where it was known as Chan Buddhism. So during the Song Dynasty, around the 10th to 13th century, Chan Buddhism was the dominant form of Buddhism in China. Mm hmm. It got so popular, actually, that the government started to get worried. They started thinking, oh man, what if the church starts to threaten the government's power? That's going to be a problem. Like, we all saw Game of Thrones, right? Those sparrows, when they start rising up above the government, that causes all sorts of issues. It's not where I thought you were going to go for that analogy, but yeah, I follow you. Did you have something else in mind? No, that was all you. Those sparrows were maniacs, right? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so what is a government to do? Well, you just take over the religion. And that's basically what they did. So the emperor offered his support to Zen Buddhism, which gave him influence over how the religion operated. And the Buddhists were basically forced to develop this network of monastic offices. And then the government could use those as conduits to kind of exert their power through the religion, across the country.
0: That's clever. Yeah. And then you got the masses of people thinking it's not even the government. This is the temple out here doing things. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, they're propaganda 101. They've been doing this stuff for
1: a long time. Oh, yeah. Pretty sneaky. Yeah, okay. So then in the 12th century, by imperial decree, they created what's called the Five Mountain and Ten Monasteries System. Okay. So in this context, they're using the word mountain to refer to these five big famous temples. Those are the mountains. And then there were 10 more lesser temples below the five main ones. And again, this was a move to solidify the government's power over the religion because they got to choose the priests that would rule over those top five temples.
0: Yeah. I suppose it's easier to control five temples than try to control every temple. Mm -hmm. But if you control the temples that control all the other temples, I see see what they
1: did there. Exactly. So that's where this five-mountain system came from. And before long, that system was brought to Japan by the Hojo Regency, which ruled from Kamakura during the Kamakura period around the 13th century. And the Hojo clan, they were like, man, this five-mountain system is working pretty well in China. Why don't we try setting that up here? So they set up a similar thing in Kamakura, and it was during that Kamakura shogunate that the temple we're talking about today, Tofukuji, was founded in Kyoto in 1236 by a guy named Kujo Michie, who was actually the father of the fourth shogun of the Kamakura shogunate. Yeah, he was a very powerful and famous person. Mm -hmm. And he built the temple for the sake of family prestige. And the reason it's named after those great temples in Nara is because he wanted it to rival those great temples. And then he appointed a monk named Eni as founding priest. Paul, can you tell us about Eni?
0: So Eni studied Zen meditation in China. But he brought back more than just Buddhist teachings with him. He is said to have brought back Sung Dynasty literature from China and udon noodles over to Japan. That's a big deal, still popular to this day. Yeah,
1: I thought that was cool.
0: And he brought a variety of green tea that's very popular in the Shizuoka prefecture. And every year on his birthday... Shizuoka City still holds a tea day celebration.
1: Yep, November 1st. he also studied with the guy that we've talked about before, Eisai. He was a monk we talked about in the tea episode, episode 33, because he played a big part in popularizing green tea in Japan. He also founded Japanese Rinzai Buddhism. He did a lot. Yeah. So after the Kamakura Shogunate fell... The Ashikaga shogunate took power, and they saw that five mountain system that was all the rage in the ruling class, and they were like, Man, let's set this up in Kyoto too. So they set up five mountain system in Kyoto and included Tofukuji as one of those five. So that's what it means when we say that Tofukuji is one of the five great Zen temples in Kyoto.
0: Yeah, so it's long been supported by
1: the government. Yeah. It makes it uh, made a successful temple over the years. Mm-hmm. So, in its final form, this five mountain system, there were three tiers essentially. You had Kyoto's five mountains, also known as the Kyoto Gozan, those were at the very top. And then we mentioned Kamakura had their five mountains, those were below the Kyoto ones. And then you had Jisetsu, which means 10 temples but over time that actually became more like a class of temples so there weren't necessarily exactly 10 of them it was just kind of a a level of temples <laughs> beneath the five mountains yeah so this five mountain system like we've, we this is a very brief overview that we talked about but i thought it was super interesting and you could spend a lot of time digging really deep and seeing how this stuff was kind of constantly changing and morphing over time you know it wasn't like we set the system in place and it stayed the same for a thousand years you know depending on how the government wanted to set things up there were different temples that would be brought into those top five and a lot of interesting stuff going on yeah right i suppose if a temple gets too far out of line uh you're not in the top
0: five anymore (laughs) yeah these guys are now you know yeah Yeah. Political intrigue uh, gets complicated and uh, interesting sometimes.
1: Yeah. Moving along. So now we have Tofukuji, this temple that we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. One of the most important temples in the country. And it was affiliated with the Rinzai sect of Zen Buddhism, like most of the rest of Kyoto's big five temples. And over the years, the temple burned down several times. In 1319, 1334, 1336, pretty common for old wooden temples around that time. Yep. And it burned down again in the 15th century as well, but each time it was rebuilt according to the original plans. Mm -hmm. The temple was
0: reduced from 70 buildings down to 25 during the Meiji era after the Shinbutsu Bunri, the... Decree that separated Shinto from Buddhism. So that was a loss. That's just, they're just gone now. Mm -hmm. But uh, the Buddhist stuff remains to this day. (laughs) Yeah. And another note I thought was quite interesting is that during the Russo-Japanese War, which was 1904 to 1905, the temple area was requisitioned and became a prisoner of war camp for Russians.
1: I thought that was interesting, too. I really wonder what it looks like at that time. Like,
0: Yeah, like, let's just clear out the temple and throw all our prisoners in there? That yeah. interesting decision.
1: It just seems so weird imagining, like, these prisoners walking around in this beautiful temple. It's just such a strange juxtaposition there. It is. It is. I mean,
0: Japan was never known for uh, treating its prisoners of war super well. I have no idea what it was like during that war, but... Mm-hmm. That would be interesting if they were just like freely walking around and meditating with the monks. Probably not how it was, but I didn't get any more, like, couldn't find any more details on that.
1: Uh, Also, there was another fire in 1881 that wiped out some more of the buildings. So it's lost a lot of buildings over the centuries. But both the main hall and the Hato, which is the lecture hall, those were rebuilt in 1917, and then in 1934, a new Buddha statue was relocated there. So these days, you know, it's not as big as it once was, but it's still pretty big. And there's a lot of really cool stuff to see there. Absolutely. So let's talk about what there is to see in this temple complex. What's the first thing you're probably going to see, Paul? Uh, We should probably start with
0: Sanmon, the Enlightenment Gate. Uh, That's two stories, 22 meters high. With uh, three entrances.
1: Yeah, so this is like the main gate at the entrance. And it can also be called the Sange Datsumon, which means the gate of the three liberations. Mm. It symbolizes the three stages that a person has to pass through to achieve Nirvana. Which is why Paul you, you called it gate the Enlightenment Gate. Enlightenment gate. Yeah. Cool. So this one, this gate at Tofukuji is the largest and oldest sanmon in Japan. It's considered a national treasure. Dates back to 1425. That's a long
0: time to go without burning down. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And Paul, you said there were three doors, right? Yeah.
0: Three entrances. Three sections to it. I don't know how to describe that best. Yeah,
1: I saw them called bays. Okay, that's kind of a good word. So like... Sanmon, you know, a lot of temples are going to have a Sanmon, and they can be all sorts of different sizes, but the more important a temple is, the bigger the Sanmon is going to be. So, did you say it was two stories tall? Yes. And then there are five of those bays, but only the middle three are actually open, so you can walk through them. Mm -hmm. But five bays, that's like, that's a big Sanmon.
0: Yeah, it's really big. Yeah, I said two stories, but it's 22 meters. Like, that's... Really high.
1: Yeah. And there are like these big pillars in between each bay that kind of separates them. It's pretty impressive
0: looking. For a wooden structure, I'd say it's massive.
1: Mm -hmm. Did you see what's on the top floor? No. It has several Buddhist statues that date back to the Heian period, around a thousand years ago. (laughs) Wow. You can't normally go up there, but there are actually special viewing dates when you can go up there. So something to check on if you're... Interested in doing that. Uh, Most recently, it was open from October 18th to December 5th of
0: 2021. Okay.
1: That's cool. Yeah. Next up, we've got the Hondo, or Main
0: Hall, which is a more recent structure dating from 1934. And it's
1: even bigger than the gate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's a big building. It's usually closed to the public. But, again, there are certain times where it's opened up for viewing. And if you peek through,
1: you can still kind of see the Buddha statue in there. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can get, get a peek. Mm-hmm. If you do want to get inside, you'll have to visit between March 14th and March 16th. Apparently, they open it at that time of year to celebrate the anniversary of the Buddha's passing. And maybe it might seem weird to celebrate the Buddha's passing, like celebrate his death day, but... It's more like they're celebrating his ascension to enlightenment, right? That's when he reached nirvana. Something like that, yeah. He was finally not held back on... I think he held himself
0: back on Earth to teach, and he was finally set free, if I'm remembering correctly.
1: Oh, and sorry, real quick. They display a huge picture of his entry into nirvana. I didn't see a picture of what that looks like, but it's like... It's interesting because he's ascending to nirvana, but he's also dying at the same time. So I'm really curious, like his physical body is dying. So I'm curious what the picture actually looks like.
0: Yeah. I've seen a lot of Western art with angels and things like that, but Mm. I wonder what the Buddhist depiction of that would be. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that painting's
1: very old as well from the, uh, Muromachi period. Yeah. And if you get in to see that, there's also a dragon painting on the ceiling that looks really cool. I did see pictures of that.
0: Okay. Okay. All this cool stuff you normally can't see.
1: Yeah. That'd be really cool to be there on those days in March. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Around these two main structures, there are a bunch of other temple buildings that date back to the 14th to 15th centuries and are worth looking at because they're rare examples of Zen architecture from that time period. Agreed.
0: So the place I think makes Tofukuji the most unique is the Hojo, yeah, which is the abbot's quarters. And what's so unique about it is it's surrounded by four gardens, north, south, east, and west, all with their own distinct style. Mm-hmm. So you get to walk around the building and enjoy four different gardens.
1: Yeah. Before we get into the specifics of the garden, I have uh, a couple of things I want to point out. Mm-hmm. One is that most areas of the temple are actually free to access, but this Hojo with its gardens, this is one area that you actually have to pay to get into. It's 500 yen to get in or 300 for children, and it's 100% worth it. Like, if you go to Tofukuji, just pay to get into the Hojo. Like, it's. It's amazing. This is my favorite part of the whole place.: Yeah, I totally agree. I was actually
0: thinking about these entry fees a lot, because, you know, that came up when I was doing my research back into this. I remember paying these. And this was the day we saw Tofukuji was the day we went on the Philosopher's Walk, and we saw a bunch of different temples. I remember thinking at the start of the day, like, oh, I've got so many coins. I've got all these 500 yen coins and 100 yen coins. And they were gone so fast because every temple, it's like, you know, 300 yen to get in or 500 yen to get in this or 400 yen to cross the bridge. And it really starts adding up. Like before I knew it, we were halfway through the day and I'd spent like 25 bucks on like getting in and around temples, Mm -hmm. which I guess surprised me like in my head, I wasn't thinking it was going to be that much totally worth it though. Like looking back on it, I wouldn't want to have saved $4 back then and like miss something on my once in a lifetime chance at this temple. Yeah. And it's still like way less expensive than a ton of other tourist stuff you could be doing. But that was something that I remember thinking about at the time, like, it surprised me how much that added up if you're going to a whole bunch of different temples.
1: Mm-hmm. I've noticed that in a lot of different places in Japan. Like, There's so many touristy type places that you go to where there are a bunch of buildings that you can get into. And each time you go into one, it's like, oh, you know, 100 yen, 200 yen to yeah, get into each one. Yeah. That's no big deal. But yeah, it does add up.
0: Yeah, and the train's... 200 yen, 300 yen here or there. And then you grab a snack from the Konbini and then you get a drink out of the vending machine and like you've spent 50 bucks real quick all of a sudden, you know, totally worth it though. Yeah. That's
1: my tangent. It's a good thing to point out. Uh, Another thing I wanted to mention before we get into these gardens specifically is the guy that designed them. Yeah. Really interesting guy. Yeah. So, these gardens around the Hojo were designed by a landscape architect named Mirei Shigemori in 1939. Mm-hmm. And he was really into the arts. Like, I kind of looked into his, his life. And when he was young, he took lessons in the traditional tea ceremony. He took lessons in Ikebana, which is flower arranging, and he studied landscape painting. He studied at the Tokyo Fine Arts School and he was even planning to open a school of Japanese culture when the great kanto earthquake hit. Oh wow. and ruined his plans. Oh wow. Yeah. But eventually he got into designing gardens and he had a really interesting philosophy, I thought, yeah, okay. about gardens. So he wanted to create a hybrid style that used old traditional techniques mm-hmm. and combined those with modern ideas including those from the Western modernist movement that had been making its way into Japan in the 1920s and 30s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, most Japanese gardens you look at in Japan, they're kind of based around the same types of ideas. You know, there are these prescribed ideals of how a Japanese garden is supposed to be put together. But he thought that the art form should Kind of try to move into the future, and he he was more interested in like innovating and inventing new ideas about what Japanese gardens could be about. I have a fun quote. He said that he thought they should quote emulate their way to invention rather than the results achieved. So like okay, you okay. should copy that spirit of inventiveness rather than just copy what they came up with. At the end, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So you can really see that innovation in these gardens at Tofukuji, I think. And designing these gardens at Tofukuji was actually his first major work in garden design. And he was so excited about working on such a prestigious project that he offered to do it for free.
0: Yeah, but he got something in return. What's that? The monks at Tofukuji promised to pray for his
1: soul now and forever. Sounds to me like he wasn't the greatest negotiator, but maybe that was uh, worth something to him, I guess. He also got his
0: name uh, tied to such a prestigious temple. That's true. Although that's interesting. Yeah, it's his first major work of garden design, but it's widely regarded now as masterpieces. Yeah. So his style really just worked right from the beginning.
1: Definitely and he went on to design over 200 gardens in his life. So maybe he's a great negotiator after all. I hope he got paid for most of the other gardens. <laughs> yeah, hopefully.
0: <laughs> I'm always impressed by like artistic people. They're like, "Oh yeah, I draw and I play five instruments and I sing. Uh, you know, I've been trying my hand at sculpting lately." And I'm just like, "Man, like some people do everything."
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the gardens. Okay. Which cardinal direction do you want to start with? South? Okay. I feel like the south is probably the most famous. I didn't know there was a ranking.
0: I don't know. I feel like that's the one you might see the most pictures of. Hmm. Uh, It's more of a traditional Zen garden with a sea of raked sand and rocks arranged to represent sacred mountains.
1: Yeah, so you might have an idea in your head of what a Zen garden looks like. You know, they make little little tiny like tabletop Zen garden kits that you can buy, and they all have a few rocks that you can place in there, and then they got the sand and a tiny little rake, right?
0: Uh, now that you remind me of that, I should get a Zen garden coffee table, where you can just like pull the glass off and like rearrange your zen garden inside it's a cool idea have you seen those like i they feel like those <laughs> exist i think those exist if not i'm gonna make one it would be pretty cool yeah i need a coffee table anyways but yeah this is like kind of that more traditional style it's what i would think of thinking of a zen garden this might be the garden that pops into my mind if you say zen garden
1: yeah so like you said those big stones are representing sacred islands right And those raked pebbles, or the raked sand, around these big rocks symbolize the eight seas. You may remember from our Japanese Gardens episode that most Japanese gardens involve water in some way. And if they don't involve water, there might be something symbolizing water. And that's what these raked pebbles do. It's maybe most obvious if you look at the actual stones that are sticking up. Like, they'll have... The pebbles raked in a circle around them that kind of looks like water ripples expanding out from the stone. Mm-hmm. Or waves breaking on land.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this uh, garden is worth sitting down and taking a break and just contemplating the garden for some time. Yeah,
1: In a zen-like way. Totally. Getting a zen kind of headspace. Yeah. So most of it is those raked pebbles but there is actually an area kind of back in the corner where there's some green going Mm on Uh, there are these five little mossy hills that symbolize the Kyoto goes on those five great Zen temples that we talked about of which Tofukuji is one I like how they're promoting themselves in the in the (laughs) (laughs) garden yeah
0: yeah no that's cool
1: okay Paul you want to go to the east side yeah sure So the east side, the east garden, you're going to see more raked pebbles. And you're going to see stones coming out of those raked pebbles. Mm -hmm. But these ones are less natural looking. Like most gardens in this style have very natural looking stones. You know, you don't want to look like humans have been involved in shaping this stone. But the ones in this east garden are pretty much perfect cylinders. They don't look natural at all. Yeah, clearly man-made. And why is that, Paul? Because they were originally the
0: foundation pillars for the temple's latrine. That's right. And the abbot of the temple had specifically asked the garden designer Shigemori to reuse various materials in his design. Because according to Rinzai Zen beliefs, nothing
1: should be allowed to go to waste. I thought that was really cool. And I did not realize that when we went there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it looked like an old thing he built around, but like I didn't know the story at all. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it was from the latrine.
1: <laughs> yeah. And he arranged them in a specific way, too. And this is another thing that I did not realize when we were there, although it's kind of obvious looking back at pictures and stuff. He arranged these pillars to represent the constellation Ursa Major, a.k.a. the Big Dipper. Yeah,
0: I, uh, missed that one too. I mean, looking at it, the Big Dipper is pretty well known in our culture too, but I just, I looked at it, I didn't see Big Dipper or at least that didn't click in my head. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about a Zen temple. I wasn't thinking about constellations, but looking back at it now, like, oh yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. That is cool. Well, I think we should swing around to the North
1: garden next. Let's do it. This is actually my favorite of the four gardens. I knew it would be. Why? Because you're a moss guy. I am. I am a moss guy. So I love the moss, but I also love the pattern. I just think it's really cool. And this is where maybe that modern influence is most apparent. I, yeah, I, I'd say that. That's true. So when you see this garden, it's going to look like a checkerboard, basically. The squares are maybe around six inches wide. Yeah, around there, six to eight, maybe something like that. And so half of the squares are flat stone, and then the other half are covered in moss. And these stones are actually another recycled material. These used to be paving stones at the entrance of the temple. Yep.
0: And another part which makes this even cooler, to me at least, is the moss is kind of thick. So like the moss squares kind of rise a little bit above the stone squares. So there's level differences too, which adds depth to the image, or I don't know how the best way to describe that, but it gives it a little extra look.
1: Yeah, they're kind of like rounded like they're, uh, like little pillows, little moss pillows. Yeah, it
0: looks comfy. Mm -hmm.
1: And I really love how on the edges of the checkerboard pattern, it's like the pattern starts to break down. The squares kind of start to fade into moss, and you see this less of the stone squares, and it's just this Cool fading effect. I don't know how to describe
0: it. That's a great point. I think that's what part of what makes this garden hit so hard is that it blends the cut stonework of the square slab, which is very clearly man made, with then the rounded moss and then it fades out at the end. It's like the in and out of modernity versus nature.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, it brings to mind the idea of wabi sabi. Yeah. Right? The idea of impermanence and imperfection and transience. You know, nothing is permanent. Nature always, I don't know, breaks down what man has made. Yep. Entropy. Symbolizes entropy, perhaps. Yeah. Well, that leaves the West Garden. Yep.
0: And we got another checkerboard pattern. We do. But this one is... Including bushes, so it's a much bigger
1: pattern. Yeah. They're azalea bushes, and they're trimmed super neatly into perfect squares. hmm They're actually supposed to represent rice fields, and then the other squares in between the bushes are made up of those little pebbles, like the raked pebbles. hmm Like, they're the same kind of pebbles as the raked pebbles, but these ones aren't actually raked.
0: Okay. Yeah, you can't see them as well because the bushes are a couple feet high. Yeah. So you just kind of see the pattern of the bushes uh, with the negative space between them. looks really cool.
1: Yeah. And if you go around May to June, you can actually see the azaleas bloom in those bushes. So there's like a lot of pink kind of splattered across them. It looks pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You just showed me the picture of that. The way they bloomed is like really, really cool.
1: Yeah. Paul, which garden is your favorite, did you say? Um, I didn't, but probably
0: I'll say the South Garden, because I don't wanna I don't wanna be the same as you. <laughs> but the North Garden's really cool too. Definitely the South and the North uh stand out a little bit more for me mm. than the other two.
1: I'd say the north is my favorite, the east is my second favorite. Okay. Oh, I have some pictures from that one that I really like. Well good, good. We can't agree on everything. All right. This would be boring.
0: So, probably the next most famous thing Tofukuji has
1: is the Sutenkyo Bridge. Yeah, that translates to the bridge crossing heaven. It's called that because it stretches 100 meters across a valley that's just filled with Japanese maple trees, around 2,000 of them.
0: Yeah. In summer, you get this huge, lush green view. And then, of course, in the fall, when all the leaves turn that bright red maple color, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, that's really one of the main attractions at this temple, is if you go in the fall, you walk across the bridge, and you look out at all the incredible fall colors.
0: So we were in Japan in the fall. We were. We were at Tofukuji in the fall. Yes. But we were very early November, and some of the trees were just starting to turn.
1: Yeah, we were maybe like a week early for the very peak season.
0: But when we were in the mountains later on, we saw some really uh,
1: great fall colors. Yeah. I mean, this was kind of early in our trip, right? We were probably still in Japan a week later. Yeah, yeah. We just weren't at this temple. Right, right. But yeah, even when we went, I would say the views were pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So I will post some pictures on Instagram and Facebook if you want to look at those. I did see someone say that if you go any other time of the year besides the fall, this area is skippable.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's other places on the temple grounds that you can see the trees from. You You don't necessarily have to go over the bridge. It's probably the best view of the trees.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, one main reason that people might think this is skippable other times of years is because this is another part that you actually have to pay to get into. Yeah, yeah. So, it's 600 yen for adults, 300 for children, and that's most of the year. But then during that peak season between November 10th and 30th, then it's a 1,000 yen for adults, but still 300 for children.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: Okay. And I
0: I was kind of complaining earlier, maybe. I wasn't trying to, but I might have been complaining earlier about spending all the money. Another note is, though, it's going to the temple. So, like, if I'm spending five, six, ten bucks here or there. It's going to preserving this great historical site. Couldn't really be money more
1: well spent. That's a good point. Oh, another thing I wanted to point out here. If you're not going between November 10th and 30th, that peak season, there is actually a combo ticket that you can get to save a little bit of money. It gets you admission to everything in the temple that has a price attached to it. So the Hojo with those gardens, the bridge, and then the Kaisando, which we'll talk about in a second, that combo ticket is 1,000 yen for adults or 500 for children.
0: Yeah, that's a good deal if you want to see everything. Yep.
1: Okay, so once you cross this bridge and you've taken your time looking at all those pretty trees... <laughs> I paid a 1,000 yen. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy these trees. Yeah. Then you're going to find the Kaisando, or the Founders Hall which contains a statue of any, the temple's first abbot that -hmm. we talked about. And admission to this place is included in the admission to the bridge. It's not a separate fee. You remember the Kaisando, Paul? We went there. I do.
0: There's another garden there. Mm -hmm. There's another checkerboard, but it's a rake sand checkerboard. So they just rake the sand in a checkerboard pattern. But it, it sounds simple, but it actually looks really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's all the pebbles, but it's like half the squares aren't raked at all. And then the, of the other half, half of those are raked in a certain direction. And then the rest of them are raked 90 degrees from the way the other ones are raked, if that makes any sense.
0: I spent too long like thinking in my head, how would you rake this garden? Yeah. Like, how would you rake this garden and make it perfectly proportioned without leaving any footprints behind? I, yeah, I, I took a deep dive in my mind.
1: <laughs> I would love to see, I think I have actually seen a video of somebody raking, but I want to watch like from beginning to end, maybe a time-lapse video and just see they make it how look the so whole thing easy. takes shape.
0: yeah. You know, They know exactly what to do. They've done it a thousand times.
1: I also wonder how often they have to re-rake it. It's like, if it rains hard enough, you would think that the pebbles get kind of messed up. Yeah, it's got to depend on the weather. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So one one side of this garden has the checkerboard stuff, and then the other side is more of a traditional style garden with like rocks and bushes. Yep. And there's kind of a path that goes in between those two gardens that leads right up to the, the building. Yeah. So what other buildings are there to see on temple grounds, Paul? Um, There's a
0: long, low building in the southwest corner of the grounds called the Tosu. It was formerly the temple toilet. So we're back to talking about latrines again. And it's the oldest temple toilet in the country. Yep, yep. And it's usually closed, but this sounds bad, but you can peek in through the windows <laughs> And there's actually pictures inside displaying how monks would use the building. I guess I, I don't remember seeing those pictures.
1: So you're seeing pictures of people pooping. I, I don't know exactly
0: me? what the pictures look like. Apparently, it shows monks using the building. I don't know. Okay, you got to go there. You got to peek through the. You got to peek through the window.
1: I thought it was interesting that this building actually used to be a really important source of revenue. For the temple, because as we talked about in the toilets episode, mm-hmm. they used to sell human waste to use as, as manure. Yep. That's episode 59, if you want to hear all about toilets. I think that was one of our better episodes. That was interesting.
0: It is. I mean, I'm just going to say it. Japan's toilet king of the world.
1: Definitely. Yeah, they used to, they used to make a lot of money off that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, north of the Tosu is the Zendo, which is Japan's largest and oldest meditation hall. Dates back to 1347. Wow, that's so old. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how this one temple has so many of the oldest and biggest and yeah, stuff. it's got the oldest gate, right? Mm-hmm. And it's got
0: the oldest meditation hall. Those are two kind of incredible things there. Yeah. There's also a bunch of uh, sub temples in the area as well.
1: Yeah, twenty five sub temples apparently. There used to be as many as fifty three. Actually, I don't know if you found any info on it, but I always kind of wonder,
0: like, how do you become a sub temple? Like, what do you got to do? You know, can you set up like a little thing in your backyard near the temple and like become <laughs> a sub temple? Like, I don't know.
1: I mean, I would think that these sub temples are part of that network that's beneath the five main Zen temples, you know?
0: And then there's the 10, which is more than 10.
1: Maybe there's other ranks too. I'm not really
0: sure. Yeah. That could be it. And then they kind of all tie together. I'm sure they have support systems, like they're all tied in certain ways and help each other out and stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. So most of these sub-temples are closed to the public, but they're still interesting to look at from the outside. And one that you actually can visit is called Fundain. This temple has a garden that was originally designed by a famous landscape painter named Sesshu Toyo in the 15th century. Nice. I just love that you can see gardens that pretty much look exactly the same as they did hundreds of years ago, like half a millennium ago. Right. Like I love history so much and being able
0: to see something like a garden, like this person thought this and made this a thing hundreds and hundreds of years ago like they're just like us you know they're different technology or culture at the time or whatever but they were all human just like us and it's amazing to see some of the things that people of the past have accomplished
1: Mm -hmm. and actually the garden that you'll see there now is a restoration that was done by Mire Shigemori the same guy (laughs) that uh, designed the other ones at Tofukuji he's got his hand in everything Yeah. So for 300 yen, you can actually enter this temple, Fundain, and you can look out at the garden from the inside. And then for another 600 yen, you can get a cup of matcha and a wagashi, which is a little, a little sweet treat. Nice. You can enjoy with your tea. Sounds awesome.
0: I wonder, if you were in Kyoto, how many gardens could you see in a day if you made it your mission to see gardens?
1: Dozens, yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, you could probably see fifty plus in one day. Yeah, man, Kyoto has some really amazing ones too, with tons of moss. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> getting all excited thinking about all that moss. <laughs> uh, one last thing that I saw about Tofukuji that I thought was really interesting is that around four times a month, they hold Zen meditation sessions for beginners. That's awesome. Yeah. It'll be really fun. But they're in Japanese. So you might have trouble figuring out how that works unless you have a companion that speaks Japanese that can help you out. Okay. So now I'm sure you want to go see Tofukuji.
0: So it's not hard to get there. So if you're in Kyoto already, it's very easy to get to Tofukuji. You just need to get to Tofukuji Station, which is. Just one stop from Kyoto Station on the JR Nara line, which is two minutes only. Um, It's also a stop on the Keihan main line. So if you're in central Kyoto, you can get there that way as well. And then it's a 10-minute walk from the station to the temple.
1: Yeah. But really, if you're coming from Kyoto Station and you're okay with a, a little more leisurely pace, you could just walk all the way from Kyoto Station to the temple. That's what we did when we visited, right? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. It's only like 20 to 25 minutes walking pace to Tofukuji. And then once you're done there, you're also not far from a bunch of other temples and shrines on the east side of the city. It's like the city is right up against these mountains with trees and nature and stuff. It's kind of cool how the city just ends and then it's all nature-y and that's where all the temples and shrines are. They're kind of hidden back there. Yeah. If you just
0: get to the edge of the city, then you can just walk along that edge of the city and it's just temple shrine, temple shrine everywhere.
1: Yeah. So not far from Tofukuji, you'll find Fushimi Inari Taisha. Mm-hmm. We did a whole episode about that. Uh, you can head further north to kiyomizu which we also did a whole episode on. Yeah. And then you can go further north to get to Nanzenji and the Philosopher's Path mm-hmm. that Paul mentioned earlier. So we spent like an entire day walking around that part of Kyoto. And it, I mean, it was a lot of walking for sure, but it was an awesome day. And there are like so many places where you can stop and rest, grab a drink from a vending machine, maybe get lunch at one of the little restaurants over there.
0: Yep. Yeah. I'd enjoyed it more than like seeing one place and then like waiting for a bus and hopping on the bus and going 20 minutes and all that. Just. We just kept walking. It's all right. Now on to the next place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Another tip I have is if you're going in fall, you want to see those fall colors. I recommend getting there early. Yeah. So when we went, this Tofukuji was actually the first place we went that day. So it was we got there early in the morning. The crowds weren't bad at all. Yeah. But I've seen pictures where the paths through the temple are just completely packed with people like you don't have freedom of movement you just have to follow the crowd along the path and it's more of a linear experience yep good note and there are also events at tofukuji if you want to see what events are coming up or if you want to find out about those special viewings that happen at certain times of year the temple's website is tofukuji.jp the website is in japanese but google translate does a decent enough job of translating it to English. so Cool. Yeah. Anything else, Paul? I think that's all I got. Me too. Well, if you want to see some pictures of Tofukuji, I have a bunch that I can post on Instagram. We are at Podcast on Instagram. If you're more of a Facebook person, try facebook.com slash sightseeingjapanpodcast. And we would also... Be very grateful if you could spare a moment to go to wherever you're listening to the podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, and give us a review. Does Spotify let you review podcasts? I don't really use Spotify personally. Pretty sure, yeah. Well, you should do that. That would be awesome. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, it's all about the tea ceremony.
0: Quite an interesting uh, interesting ceremony.
1: Definitely. I did my research for that one already, and I learned so much. Like, I had a very vague idea of what the Japanese tea ceremony was about, and I got to say, it was not very accurate, Hmm. my impression of the ceremony. I'd say it kind of is what I thought it was, but so much more, too. Hmm. Well, that'll be a fun one. Yep. Thanks for listening.